Welcome to the Pitbox Podcast. I'm John Satori. This week, taking a look at the Emilia Romano Grand Prix. Great to go back to Imola after 14 years. We'll be running through all the main talking points to come out of the weekend. Another win for Lewis, uh, although he didn't have it all his own way. He didn't get pole position, but it didn't seem to matter. Of course, it was an errant Ferrari front wing end plate on the uh, 77 car that put pay to Bottas' chances of finally getting another win. Uh, I do wonder whether Mercedes afforded Valtteri Bottas the same sort of support and strategic decision as Hamilton normally gets in that situation. I'm going to look a little bit deeper into that and also get James Underhay's thoughts on the race as a whole and the issues it's raised. A double loss for racing point drivers, for example, a podium for one. Another one's lost more credibility. And, of course, the other interesting question, it keeps raising its head, Alex Albon failed to do the job at Red Bull. All that coming up on the Pitbox podcast. Well, it was the 13th race of the Formula One season and it was the uh, Emilia Romana Grand Prix at the incredible Imola. Very narrow, very fast, a proper old school circuit. We kept on hearing that from um, every one of the commentators. It didn't matter uh, where you uh, tuned into or what you read. Everybody was talking about that. And it is, it's a lovely old circuit, Imola, but it didn't put on the most exciting of races, except, of course, when we got towards the end and then it all sort of kicked off in a big way. Uh, Once again, joining me, James Underhay. Um, James, your thoughts on what happened last weekend? I think you summed it up fairly nicely there, John. It was, um, you know, one of my thoughts actually after the race, after watching it, was that I think modern F1 cars have almost outgrown circuits like Imola. Yeah. um, In the sense that, you know, not only are the cars bigger, that, you know, it makes it harder to pass there. Obviously, Lewis alluded to that, um, you know, after qualifying, he said, I think you're going to see a pretty boring race because it's tough to pass. But also with the, the modern levels of aero, uh, et cetera, some of the corners that used to be challenging, used to be pretty scary in a you know a, an older F1 car, just really aren't now. And these cars just make mincemeat of circuits like that now, which is a real shame because, as we alluded to, as we discussed last week, it's a stunning circuit in a beautiful part of the world and you know some incredible memories from races gone by there. But um, this time around, it just didn't really live up to uh, to expectation well, well there's no real big breaking moments there which is what uh, modern f1 cars really need now you've got to have those big breaking moments particularly at the end of long straights there was no final chicane to get back onto the main straight that was an old one which i think was an, an improvement because that meant the drs had more effect but even the run down to tamborello chicane it wasn't mm. a big enough breaking moment. And that was really the only place you had overtaking opportunities, apart from 17 as you came down to hill, the hill to Ravazza. But even then, there weren't, I don't think there was one overtaking manoeuvre into 17. So it really didn't suit, as you say, modern F1 cars. No, I think you're right. Um, the uh, Obviously, t- going through Tamburello now, that's a totally different corner. As, as we know, it's been reprofiled with the chicane there now. Um, you know, we saw a bit of action there, which was pretty good. Coming into Tosa, you mentioned, uh, you know, there even that section of the circuit has been significantly reprofiled, obviously, uh, in years gone by. So, again, it, w- it was almost like a, a more do or die moments where drivers are going to take a risk uh, and throw it up the inside and risk contact or a driver in front of them making a mistake on the exit of, of corner, which we saw at Ravazza a few times. Uh, in, in particular, obviously, the Bottas incident with Max, um, where it gave other drivers opportunities to, to get them with the DRS situation down the, the front straight. Yeah, and, um, and I was surprised that off the line, Valtteri Bottas, I thought he would sort of move to the right to try and find a bit of grip because the 
everybody had been straight lining down the uh, the pit side. So in the pit mm. lane, uh, sorry, you know, the, the pits are actually on the outside of the circuit at uh, at Imola, and they've been straight lining from what is sort of the very slight turn nineteen, not really a turn, and then the very slight turn one. And I thought he would have headed across that way, but he just straight lined it straight down to um, the chicane. They obviously felt there was enough grip there, but. Um, it did surprise me a bit, and I thought, here we go. You know, he got to the corner first, and Valtteri, this is going to be a great race for you. <laughs> Just, <laughs> and it was it was your old mate's Ferrari who stuffed it up for him. Yeah, it was <laughs> uh, it was an interesting start. Grief about Ferrari again. You have to do something about that. But, um, you know, the fact that Max got Lewis as well, mm. you know, um, off the line was, you would have thought at that point, Surely the stars are about to align for Valtteri. Surely this is the moment where he does genuinely just run away with the race. Um, and it, it just didn't happen, did it? You know, the, the stars absolutely didn't align for him. For him. And uh, in, in effect, everything that could have gone wrong pretty much did. Um, you know, coming back to the Ferrari thing, yes, of course, obviously, um, the situation with the, uh, the piece of end plate from, from Seb's front wing, clearly caused um, Valtteri's Mercedes to, to lose downforce. I think the team was suggesting that they were quite shocked at how much they'd lost <laughs> uh, in terms of downforce, and they couldn't actually really see what was causing the problem initially. And Valtteri obviously came out later and said, look, I, I saw the piece of debris and I chose to go straight for it as opposed to going around it because if it had caught a tyre, it would have obviously caused a puncture and then potentially bigger problems. So yeah. um, a really, um, you know, a really difficult situation for him given the circumstances because that race was really there for him to win. It was, and you know, he'd done a great job with qualifying. He'd done a, a Lewis, you know, he'd found the extra tenths. He'd pushed. He said he was actually shaking at the end of qualifying because of, um, you know, the extra bits he was able to find, and and he got Lewis by less than a tenth of a second. And as you say, you think the stars are all aligning for the guy finally. Um, not that it'd make much difference to the driver's title anyway. But, mm. you know, then just rotten luck like, like that. But, you know, you make your own luck as well in F1. It's just when you're in a purple patch, like Lewis is, you're in a purple patch. Well, yeah, I mean, let, let we'll come on to the, the, the point around the, the virtual safety car. You know, and the, yeah. the timing of it from Lewis's <laughs> point of view was just ridiculous, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I, it was like, I think, in fact, I think Martin Bundle even alluded to the fact on the uh, on the broadcast. He said it was almost like Mercedes had a button to call that virtual safety car for him because it was that well-timed. Um, you know, really the, the kind of critical moment of the race, I suppose, in terms of allowing Lewis to get in under virtual safety car, didn't lose anywhere near as much time coming in, actually enabled him to build a lead even more so, um, you know, for that reason. So, yeah, um, you know, Lady Luck is certainly not on Valtteri's side at the moment. Um, and as you allude to with, uh, with, uh, with Lewis, it's um, that purple patch. It just seems he can do no wrong at the moment. Yeah, and I did feel for Max Verstappen as well. He'd run a good race. He was running second. He, you know, got ahead of uh, Bottas, and you know, he then has um, what I, I still I don't think I've, I've I've heard a decent explanation or the the explanation as to what went wrong with that right rear because on the footage that you saw or on the on the TV coverage, it looked like something. Um, came off the front wheel when he was under braking into the left-hander there and something came off the front wheel but it was obviously the right rear that punctured and just um, you know it was catastrophic failure yeah he had no chance to do uh, and you know not many off, not many times you'll hear me um, say that I feel sorry for Max but I genuinely did given the circumstances because I thought his drive up until that point was great he really taken it to the mercs um, I, I know Valtteri's obviously had this issue his race was compromised with this downforce issue of course but 
uh, you know, for, for Max to, to get to that point where he was into second um, and then for that to happen was, uh, well, very disappointing for him and the team, no doubt. It, it kind of uh, summed up a pretty poor weekend for Red Bull all round. And it did. And I suppose while we're on the topic of Red Bull, let's get into this one again because he qualified sixth, Alexander Albon. Um, he was still up nearly half a second off the pace of Max, which is obviously a concern. Helmut Marco, no doubt. Uh, and Christian Horner will be having a few conversations um, even between you know now and when we get to the next race. What do you do with a problem like Alexander Albon? And of course, the, the, the concern, the problem they've got now is that they pretty much said that they'll have Sunoda, the young Honda driver, in Alpha Tori, and they've confirmed Pierre Gasly in the other seat there. So there's nowhere for him to go apart from where he is. But as we've been talking about for so long, James, if they're in a tight tussle next year for second in the Constructors' Championship, they won't be wanting Alexander Albon to be doing what he's doing this year. So do they risk it? Uh, I don't think they can now. And I, I, sadly, I don't think that Alex has given them much of a, a choice. You know, he's yeah. kind of made their decision for them. Um, you know, you've said, I, I love this phrase, you, you said that they need a points machine in there. You know, they need someone who's just going to score points every single week because you know Max is going to pick up the wins when Mercedes occasionally, albeit very only occasionally, falter. Max can win races, uh, even in a, a car that just isn't you know quite on the pace with the Mercs. But... The other person has to be putting points in. Regular, consistent point scoring, getting the odd podium. And Alex hasn't done it. And we talked last week about, you know, I think that the the end was probably a little bit nearer for, for him than than a lot of people were suggesting. And and after this weekend, you know, that was a completely um, uh, unforced error from him in terms of the, the you know, the spin that he had. Uh, you know, the race was pretty hectic at that point. He was being pressured from behind. I think Checo went past him yeah. in the build-up to that move, obviously, and he kind of Checo put a fantastic move wasn't, on him. Wasn't that a brilliant move from Perez? Yeah, it was mega, absolutely mega. Uh, just strengthening his um, his argument as to why you're getting rid of me, Racing Point. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was a great move. Uh, and obviously, then from that moment onwards, you just think, God, Alex, you know, just just get it to the flag, and that spin came. Yeah, uh, I mean, he, he looked yeah. like he, you know, he lost a bit of downforce. Obviously, he was in the wash of, uh, I think it was Perez's car, wasn't it? Um, yeah. But you've got a, you know, he's an ex- well experienced driver. I mean, you know, he's experienced enough to know that that's going to happen. Of course. And how many other moves did we see? Not quite as spectacular, but similar to that, where other drivers didn't just bin it the second that someone had gone past them because of the wake from the car in front. It just. You know, it's pretty schoolboy stuff. He just got on the gas too early, and all of a sudden he's you know, sliding across the track in front of Science, who obviously nearly hit him, that would have been even more of a disaster because then, you know, he's taken another car potentially out of the race as well. Mm. Fortunately, there was no other contact and he managed to get going again. But, you know, the long and short of it in the, the situation is it's not good enough. And Marco, how, you know, how long has he, you know, he's got the axe, he's sharpening it now, you can feel it, can't you? <laughs> That's right. And it is, it's just an impossible situation for them. But of course, the question is, did they go with Hulkenberg or did they go with Perez? Mm. I mean, Checo, um, after what he's done, you'd think they'd be looking at Perez and thinking, I think really we've got to go for him because that was an, that was an incredible move. I mean, I felt for Perez because, you know, who on the strategist 
uh, seat at Racing Point made the call to bring him in. Now, just to explain it, and you probably know anyway, James, but you know what they they were concerned about because he was on those hard compound tyres. They thought on the restart after the safety car that it'd take him a few laps to get those tyres warmed up and that he'd be a sitting duck for all the medium tyre runners that were around him. Um, and, and that's the reason they brought him in. But track position at that circuit, if they hadn't known from what had been going on in the past hour, is absolutely king. You know, you're in, if you've got track position, you keep it. I mean, just deal with the whole warm-up, make your car as, as wide as possible, and there's no very few overtaking opportunities anyway. Just live with it. I mean, he just... As he said at the end, I'm not sure if you've seen the radio uh, footage, um, but he's just like said, we just threw a podium away. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they pretty much did. And it, it is one that's going to require a little bit more explanation, I think. Um, you know, I kind of get the problem with the the, the tyres. Uh, you know, we saw in Portugal very clearly illustrated how, you know, t- people on the right tyre at the right time can benefit hugely. But like you say, from a track position point of view, um, those that went long, on those mediums or the hards, you know, throughout the race, they, they tended to be able to hang on even if they had pressure from behind because there just wasn't the opportunity for the cars behind to get past them. So, mm. yeah, a, a driver of Checo's ability, experience, you would think that he would be able to manage that if he hadn't have come in. I think he would have been okay and, and you know, a podium for, for his uh, personal press would have been superb. But I think most of the F1 world uh, can can see what should have been there ultimately. So. Yeah, and of course, it didn't get much better for Racing Point because Stroll had a, a very ordinary qualifying. And then, of course, in the race, he knocks over the front jackman coming in too hot on cold brakes, which again is a rookie mistake. Okay, no, probably not a rookie mistake, but that's a mistake that you shouldn't be making at that level either. Um, and thankfully, the... You know, the front jack man was okay. It was interesting, actually, if you've seen the footage, that when that happens, um, one of the mechanics who was going to make an adjustment to the front wing, and I think it was a, a woman, her first reaction was to, and I thought it was fantastic, her first reaction was the concern for her teammate. And then all of a sudden you can see that the she realized oh my god that's not that shouldn't that's not my that shouldn't be my first concern i need to get back and you know she makes the adjustment to the front wing but it was um, a lovely moment to see her concern her just natural reaction was for her teammate yeah it was it was nice to see you know the the pit lane despite the the speed limit in the pit lane now you go back to the 90s and cars were flat from the moment they took off from their from their uh, from their box which was just terrifying you got cars coming past you at comfortably north of 120 130 miles an hour in, in that narrow pit lane and lots of people on foot around them but still a very dangerous place and him coming in at that sort of speed you know you hit the guy with some force it threw him back and, and rolled him backwards uh it's going to shake you up isn't it um <laughs> you know uh, the, the the whole situation with stroll uh, i think it's you know he's always going to be in the spotlight he's always going to be under the microscope because of his relationship with the team through his father but um, you know, this is the second race in a row now that we've seen him involved in situations that, um, as you you know, to coin your phrase, it's fairly rookie errors, you know, rookie mistakes, decisions that, that are being made that don't necessarily um, suggest that you are the real deal long term. You shouldn't be doing stuff like that. You know, you don't see people like Charles Leclerc making such errors. You don't see people, I'm going to mention George Russell now, bless him, he's obviously had an absolute nightmare in the race. But, you know, that is... It's just stupid. It shouldn't be happening. And, um, you know, thank God the guy's okay, obviously, who he hit. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about George Russell, and 
you know, it, it, that was one little mistake. I mean, he, <clears throat> pardon me, he'd driven a great race up until that point. You know, potential points on the cards for Williams and everybody in the paddock, everybody everywhere wants Williams to be able to get some points this year. Um, yep. They're a fantastic racing team, um, you know, just authentic races. But again, it's something that he's going to have to learn from, you know, lighting up the tyres and there was a little bump there and that was down into Aqua Minerale, wasn't it? And it it's, was. you know, but... It's those lessons they're hard learned but you never forget them no you don't and he you know his reaction he was devastated wasn't he and mm. i was devastated for him watching it you know it's look these things happen um we saw uh, roman grosjean do it i think in uh baku a few years ago didn't we and he got absolutely berated for it well, that's, um, that, but that was because he blamed marcus erickson yeah, correct. I mean, his explanation was absolutely ridiculous, wasn't it? But he he got berated for it. And I've seen quite a lot of stuff on, on the socials the last uh, 24 hours in regards to, you know, uh, Grosjean doing it. He got absolutely hammered for it by everyone. Mm. Uh, and George does it and everyone wants to put their arm around him. I think there's a real distinct difference here. Number one, George is a rookie. And, it, mm. and actually, yeah. he should technically uh, be afforded the odd silly mistake yep. from time to time, uh, misjudgment and error. Um, and Roman was nowhere near a rookie at that particular moment in time. He just dropped the ball and then tried to blame it on someone who was probably 30 or 40 metres behind him, as you've mentioned previously. So, you know, I, I don't see that as a, as a fair comparison. And also, George's reaction was immediately to put his hands up. And I think that says a lot about who he is. He put his hands up. He was absolutely, you know, just disconsolate with his situation sat there at the side of the, the the circuit watching his car being pulled away when he knew that there was a points finish there you know it was there it was on the table and it was what the team needed um but for him to come out and say you know what i'm, I'm gutted i made a mistake i'm sorry straight away to the guys the team um and i'll, I'll work hard and make sure it doesn't happen again you know um and, and these cars are animals as well john right it's, mm. you know circumstances like you say the part of the circuit you know, another meter further maybe it wouldn't have happened you just don't know um and and the reaction of the car actually when it happened was pretty aggressive as well it wasn't like he got into a slide and didn't get out of it it just pinged you know pretty much 90 degrees left and he was in the wall so i think you'd have had to been uh, superman to catch that one and not much of a runoff area which is you know one of the features of all these um old school old style uh, circuits as well so you know you just don't get that uh, that leeway um now the other person i wanted to mention as far as good drives are concerned because we have touched on um perez and i thought that was just a fantastic overtaking maneuver that he did up um the outside it was of alexander albon but how about danny kvyat as well I thought he drove a spectacular race. Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to change the minds of anybody who um, makes decisions uh, for him getting a seat anywhere. But I thought he had a really good drive. It was a really strong drive for him, uh, but probably just too little too late. He's just too inconsistent, isn't he? See, the phrase you used there, John, was it was a really strong drive for him. And yeah. those two two words, for him, are the, are the critical ones in that sentence. You know, uh, he yeah, it was a great drive. Um, you know, I think he benefited i think he really benefited from quite a bit of the mayhem around him he found himself on the right tire at the right time um which obviously made a huge difference and he took advantage of it and and that's what any decent driver of that sort of caliber at that level should be doing uh, the problem with danny is he's obviously not doing it that regularly enough yeah uh, he's being you know comprehensively outperformed by his teammate um he's been around the sport for a long time and you know one drive 
I don't think that, you know, of, of that quality, I don't think that necessarily saves him and, and keeps his seat for next year. That's just my opinion. But yeah. but um, I mean, the thing is, where is he going to go anyway? Because we, we pretty much know Sunoda is going to come in for the other, the spare Alpha Tori seat. And then it's only really harsh. Well, you know, Kvyat doesn't bring any sponsorship with him. So he's, you know, the, 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 I mean, okay, he's got a little bit of history driving simulator, doing some simulator work with Ferrari, but there's mm. not much for him um, to be going. There's, there's not, there's not much sort of behind him to be able to get him a seat at Haas. So it's no. unfortunately it looks like it looks like uh, curtains. But you know, he did a. I thought his move. I think it was on Leclerc. I think wasn't it? Um, yes. You know that was uh, that was rather nice to see. It was good. It was good. Uh, I just think your your you know point around where could he go? There's he's really picking at scraps now, isn't he? Yeah. You know, there's so much going on uh, with other drivers linked to the seats that are available. Uh, yeah, I can't see him featuring too highly on uh, on people's. Uh, uh, Christmas list, so to speak. Um, a team that has sort of had an unspectacular and quiet weekend was McLaren. Uh, they ended up uh, 7th and 8th. I think they started ninth and 10th. And in fact, uh, I think it was the other way around. Though. Yeah, Lando had out-qualified uh, Carlos. But they'd had a, a pretty quiet race. It's not really what though that team needs either because in the Constructors' Championship, it's just oh so tight. They're uh, now leveled with Racing Point and Renault have skipped ahead a little bit because of uh, Ricardo, who uh, got his podium, got... Hamilton doing a shoey, and that was a great moment too, wasn't it? Yeah, it was good to see. You know, I quite like Lewis for, for being up and game for that because <laughs> from what Danny said afterwards, obviously Danny's just about to to, to do his shoey and Lewis said, take your other shoe off. And I thought that was pretty fun. Um, you know, not, um, you know, not the kind of the boring, you know, straight laced racing driver that a lot of them can be. Danny Rick's obviously wild and we love him <laughs> for it, but for Lewis to do that, I quite like that. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I thought that was quite fun. Um, yeah, uh, McLaren, bizarre, I think, more than anything else. They just weren't really at the races all weekend, were they? No, they just haven't been able to get whatever it is out of that upgrade package. And that should have been a circuit that suited them. I mean, reasonably fast, certainly medium corners, maybe not fast corners, which we know they're very good in, but certainly medium to medium fast corners, I thought they would have would have done better but um but it wasn't to be and of course uh before we uh, before we go anywhere we need to talk about ferrari of course um you would have been it would have, i mean it was a good weekend for charles once again he qualified very well he finished up with fifth so good points and of course they need to be careful because alpha tori are starting to close in on them yeah. um but not such a great one for seb again not making it into q3 and finishing up outside the points in 12th yeah, and you know what? Uh, none of it was really his doing this weekend, was it? I mm. think in terms of the in, in terms of the race specifically, uh, he actually had a fantastic drive right up until the point that uh, I think it was a strip wheel nut or something. But you know, the long and short of it is, is that he was um, you know dealt a pretty bad card at his pit stop. It was a thirteen second pit stop. Uh, problems getting the left rear on uh, and ultimately getting the right front on was a nightmare. Um, and he, you know he was kind of back in the pack fighting for, for scraps again. And it's really frustrating because I think that drive up until that point, uh, you know, and, and to get points would have been a nice little confidence boost for him. Um, given his comments of late about, uh, car, um, you know, uh, performance versus Charles and this, that, and the other, I think he wanted to get those points desperately. And I think it would have been really good for him to get them, but, um, you know, worryingly now, I think it's only um, the last seven races he's only scored points twice. Yeah. Uh, which for for a, you know, a, a driver at his level 
an expectation. He's, you know, it's not good enough, but I don't think you can really label him with uh, you know dropping the ball this weekend. I think it was on Ferrari and and, and that pit stop. I mean, he just needs a reset as well. This it's it's almost like the whole Albon thing, isn't it? He can't get his head around what he needs to do to get performance out of that car, and then yeah. you see Charles Leclerc doing exactly what needs to be done. Because I mean, that, that should be. You know, if Charles can get a fifth, and it's not like that was lucked in either. I mean, he did a great performance. He did a great qualifying as well. So there's just something that's not quite adding up at the moment between Ferrari and Sebastian Vettel. Yeah, um, Charles has clearly got to grips with the car. I mean, I think Charles is getting the most out of the car. You know, it's not a, a, um, a regular podium contender. We know that at the moment. He may pick one up every now and again. And he actually suggested post-race that, you know, bar a strategy call, he thought a podium was a potential this weekend. Uh, and they went a different route and, and it didn't work out. Um, uh, and, and obviously, Kvyat ended up getting him, you know, not a million miles away from the end as well and, uh, and pushing him back into fifth because he was fourth at that point. But he's obviously finding that the car suits him. It works for him, the st- his style behind the wheel. And said it's like he's, you know, he got into a completely strange car. And you'd think really from evolution of one car to the next year after year, something drastic has changed. Because normally what you or who you deem your number one driver to be, you would tend to tailor the car, certain elements of the performance, handling, etc., uh, around you know, that driver. And it doesn't really seem that that's, that's uh, filtered through this year for Seb. No, indeed. Um, I mean, the one, I, I've got to say this because I often cop, I cop a lot of criticism from uh, Chris Lawton, who uh, we have our little tipping competition between ourselves on our, on our Slipstream program. And this week, Jimmy Underhay, guess who got the trifecta? I'm guessing get, you nailed it. Yes, absolutely. Right? I picked Hamilton, Bottas, and I always go for the roughy Danny Rick because obviously we've got the, the same accent. And this <laughs> week it came through and, you, oh, boy, he was not a happy bunny. He well, was not that's a happy almost, bunny. you know, get, nailing the top three like that almost gets you back in the race with him, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, no <laughs> one's ever no one's ever actually uh, picked the complete, uh, the complete podium. Uh, to be fair, we always sort of try and keep away from what would be obvious. But I got to the point where I said, you know what, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not going to sort of go for these outlandish, you know, oh, it might be so-and-so, you know, it might be uh, Max on the top step of the podium. I'm like, no, no, no let's... But I always try and put in Danny Rick, and I said uh, at the beginning, and when we were doing our predictions, I said, I get a feeling that the Red Bull is a bit delicate today, and boom. You nailed it. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping you've told Lorts, uh, you know, many, many times how happy you are with that result as well from that point of view, because I know he's very quick to uh, to, to, to hammer you about the current scoreline. Mate, I've told him nowhere near enough as yet, but I'll just give him this uh this podcast and he can replay even if it's just this last couple of minutes <laughs> mate um thank you as always and of course turkey's coming up next we'll do a preview next week i suppose um and uh and take a look at turkey because it's a it's another interesting one particularly that a big long uh, four quadruple apex left-hander that's uh, going to be yeah. brutal on ties isn't it and uh, yeah what a corner what oh, a corner pirelli I haven't seen. I probably do know, and I just haven't got it in front of me. But as uh, as far as what uh, compounds they brought um, for that weekend, but that is going to be rather interesting um, with that uh, quadruple uh, apex left hander. I'm trying. To, is it turn eight? I think it is, isn't it? 
It is, yeah. Uh, it's it's a hell of a corner, and uh, these cars again, these cars around there, going to be ridiculous, aren't they? They're going to look great going through there. Absolutely. Um, so that'll be another interesting one, but we'll get into that next week, Jimmy. Thank you very much for that, mate. We'll uh, chat again next week, and look forward to your company and your review of the Turkish Grand Prix, or of course your preview before that as well. So the other thing I wanted to discuss about what happened on the weekend involving Mercedes, and I think there's a bit to talk about here, not just what happened on the weekend, but also what's going to happen with Lewis Hamilton. Um, you, you, know, you, can't, you can't not imagine that he's uh, going to be anywhere apart from F1 next year. Or sorry, no, let me rephrase that. He won't, if he's going to be in F1, he's going to be at Mercedes. He's not going to go anywhere else. I mean, he may just say, look, I, I don't want more than seven. Um, and you know I'm, I'm i'm fine with what i've done what i've achieved and it's an incredible achievement and he wants to concentrate on his music career maybe an acting career i don't know but um one thing is for sure that george russell will be sort of in some ways keeping his fingers crossed for that to happen because um he would be the man who'd step up and after what was another frustrating weekend pardon me for him where he spun behind the safety car. Uh, and, and, you know, he's done a really good job with Williams. I mean, last year was a very, you know, it was a steep learning curve in a car that wasn't fast and very frustrating. But, of course, you know, if you've got the backing of Mercedes, you've just got to put up with that. You know there's going to be better things in the future. And that may happen. And, and certainly I think Russell in alongside Valtteri Bottas would still be a very strong driver lineup. I'd like to see what Russell can do in a, in a decent car. We've seen what Lando can do. We've seen what uh, Pierre Gasly can do and Max Verstappen. It'd be lovely to see what George Russell can do because he's going to be one of those drivers over the next 10 years uh, locked in battles with the likes of those guys that I just mentioned. And I probably um, forgot to mention uh, some others. Um, Esteban Ocon being one of them. Um, but uh, the, the question I wanted to, uh, to actually ask was with regards to what happens strategy-wise with Mercedes. Now, Bottas has sort of tried to square this away in the last day or so, that there was nothing untoward with regard to the strategic decision to pit him as soon as uh, Max Verstappen tried the undercut. Now, that was on lap, what was it, lap 17 that he came in? Lap 18 he came in. And I'm talking about Max Verstappen and uh, and Bottas uh, followed him in the next lap, and that was to cover off Max Verstappen. Now, in the past, there has been plenty, plenty of examples where, when it came to seeing off the challenge of another team, and in the past it's been either the Red Bull of Verstappen or the Ferrari, whether it was Vettel in 2018 or Leclerc, more likely in 2019, but the second Mercedes was used to shield that lead Mercedes. And they gave the advantage to the driver who'd got pole position and who was leading. Now, normally, <clears throat> at most other Grand Prix, that's Lewis Hamilton. He gets pole position. He's more often than not leading, but there's been cases where he hasn't been leading. I think Russia last year. Uh, and yet Bottas, if you like, was, so to speak, sacrificed um, to try and make sure that the undercut didn't occur on the lead car and that they could see Hamilton off into the distance and win the race. And that's what happened, certainly, um, on a, on a number of occasions, that's happened. Why didn't they afford Bottas that same courtesy or that, 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 that same advantage? Because he was leading the race, and Max came in, and surely you'd pit the second Mercedes, wouldn't you? Even though it stuffs up Lewis's strategy. But that's what's happened to Bottas in the past. 
they say, well, you didn't... And, and, and again, this was addressed last year. I'm pretty sure it was last year's Russian Grand Prix where that exact thing happened. Bottas was leading the race, but he didn't have pole position. And when asked afterwards, everybody was thinking Bottas is going to be upset because his race has been compromised. He had to come in and make sure that the undercut for the, to the Ferraris, I think it was... I mean, it was Leclerc or, or Vettel, but it was one of them, um, that, that had to be seen off. And Bottas said, no, 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 um, I, you know, the deal at, at Mercedes is that if you get pole position, then you get the first call on strategy. And so he was the one who had to, to see off that undercut. Why didn't that happen on the weekend? You know, I'm sorry, I, I don't understand that. You know, it's not like Hamilton is in any danger at all of losing a championship here. You know, and, and you know, he went on, what, he didn't pit until, boy... Lap 51, 52, something like that. You know, and it was an incredible effort to, to run those mediums that long. But then again, he was under no pressure at that point either. And then everything, I mean, okay, it wasn't like he needed the safety car to fall at that time to, to, to get him to win the race. He was more than likely going to win it anyway. But it was just fantastically fortuitous uh, when, um, when that happened, or the virtual safety car. But I don't understand why it wasn't Hamilton that came in straight away to see off that challenge of Max Verstappen, put the, the Red Bull under pressure with Lewis on fresher tyres, and then say, right, Bottas, run as long as you possibly can, and then we're going to pit you, and we're going to get Lewis to push and push and make sure that Verstappen uses up the fresh tyres that he's got so that later on in the race, you're in key position to take the race win. It didn't happen. So I, I just... Yeah, it's an odd one for me. Um, but as I say, Bottas seems to be pretty much okay with it. Uh, there never seems to be any sort of upset within the Mercedes camp. And of course, that's the great thing about Mercedes. They are a team in every sense of the word. But I think there's definitely one guy who gets uh, an advantage, that's for sure. But, you know, be that as it may. So uh, anyway, uh, we were talking about earlier about uh, who would replace Hamilton. Of course, the drivers who are likely, or the driver who's most likely is George Russell. Um, the ones that are still on the market are Magnus and Grosjean. Okay, I'm only having fun here. Uh, Hulkenberg and Perez. Uh, but because those, they, look, let's look at another team that's still far from settled as far as who they're taking into 2021, and that's Red Bull. And, and Alexander Albon, again, did himself... No favours at all. Um, it was a great move by Sergio Perez on the restart to go around the uh, the right-hand side. And then, of course, as they came out of the chicane, um, there was just a bit too much acceleration. And, of course, the front gets light when you follow in the wake of another car. And that's what happened to Albon. He spun and uh, nearly took out uh, Carlos Sainz's McLaren as well. That was incredibly close. If you've seen the footage on that, uh, of the onboards and all that, it's how he actually evaded that, I'll never know. But um, it, it casts doubt uh, about whether or not Albon will have even have a seat in F1 next year. Because if he doesn't get to grips with this and Red Bull look at next year and think we cannot again go into a season, and I know we keep on mentioning this, having a driver that can't score points for the team, which could jeopardize second in the championship if uh, other teams you know, get their their backside in gear and, and the likes of Renault are looking like they're, they're doing that. We need a driver who can bring home the points. And of course, that then brings into play Perez and Hulkenberg because they have said they're not going to be taking up Pierre Gasly. They wouldn't put Zunoda in there and there's no point to do that. He's got a seat pretty much at Alpha Tauri and you can bet that Danny Kvyat's not going to get given a chance. So Alexander Albon could actually end up without a drive 
for 2021 and be on the sidelines. And after such a meteoric rise, uh, you know, a year and a half or so ago, all of a sudden find himself without a drive and, and on the sidelines, which would be a real shame. He seems like a lovely guy and he's got some good racecraft. He, he, you know, he proved that towards the end of last year, but whatever is happening at that, uh, for him in that car at the moment, it's got him all at sea. And at the moment, he doesn't even look to have a, a life jacket uh, available to him. Um, so that's the other interesting thing to come out of the weekend as well. Um, but uh, we'll see what happens in Turkey. He's been given yet another race, and he's going to need that. Um, the way Checo drove on the weekend, he, you know, he just proved that he, as we were saying before, he deserves a seat in Formula One. He should really be staying at the team that he's at, considering what his teammate did on the weekend, not only knocking over one of his um, his crew, which, you know, we've seen that sort of thing happen before, but, you know, he didn't have a, a fantastic race, didn't cover himself in glory on the second weekend in a row, uh, did Lance Stroll. So anyway, we'll have to wait and see, but I think there's still a fair bit to play out in the driver market. We may yet get to round five. Yep, we'll uh, have to wait and see. That's it for the Pitbox podcast. No racing this weekend. Then it is Istanbul Park, the Turkish Grand Prix. Uh, Pirelli are bringing the three hardest compound tyres for that race weekend. We'll do a full preview next week when we're also going to be talking to someone from inside McLaren's Mission Control. Uh, we're going to have a chat and uh, find out what goes on there and hopefully a little bit of inside information as well. So that's uh, coming up next week on the podcast. Four more rounds to go. The final round is in mid-December in Abu Dhabi when we'll be donning Christmas hats. Can't believe we're saying that. And hopefully we'll be mixing with other families as well and other households, depending on your COVID situation, where you are. But look forward to your company next week for the Pitbox Podcast. Podcast.